It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, uh, December 17th. No, 22nd. 22nd. 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. And uh, Monty is behind the board tonight. Monty, welcome. Jacob, thank you for having me tonight. How do things look over there on our audio levels, Monty? Uh, Low. They're low. Okay. Well, we'll turn it up there. Okay. Well, we're glad that you're here. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And uh, we'll look forward to you hearing from you in the chat room as well. We're trying out some new equipment tonight, Jacob, and, and I think maybe our sound qualities are not too good yet. We'll find out. Yeah, so you can give us some feedback in the chat room. It doesn't sound too good on my end. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds different. There you go. That sounds better. Yeah. And much louder. Now I need you to turn it down. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but anyway, you can give us some feedback in the chat room if you uh, have any particular opinions of the audio quality tonight as we're trying to get some new things worked out. Um, we've got a topic tonight that is very seasonal in its uh, um, application. We decided we would try to talk about the, the Salvation Army, Jacob. And you actually had made overtures towards some local Salvation Army people toward joining us on the program to talk about their organization. Tell, tell us about your experience. Well, you know, I, they are visible this time of year, so I thought it would be a good time to talk about them and uh, and their and their what, what they do. Um, I had reached out to a, a gentleman who is a commander or captain in the Salvation Army, and uh, and I, he initially said he would be willing to, to have a discussion. So I, I wanted to let him know where we were coming from and what we'd talk about, and I sent him some questions of things I'd like to cover. Um, and uh, he, then he decided that he, he would not be able to conduct the interview. So uh, it was unfortunate. I would have in, uh, appreciated having uh, someone explain uh, the, the, the group to us, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's the way it is. That's always a little bit just uh, dumbfounding to me. If someone from a, some religious group contacted me and wanted to an interview as to what we believe, what we teach, why we believe that, why we do what we do, uh, I would jump on an opportunity to talk to someone along those lines, but uh, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just a it's a it's somewhat of a concerning trend in the religious world today that the discussion about differences is something that's negative. Uh, either either people think it doesn't matter, or they're just afraid to discuss. Or I think it's probably a combination of bo- at least both of those things. I do think people are afraid, and and we try to allay those fears by. Um, just pointing people to our archives where we've interviewed people in the past. We don't get ugly with anybody, and we don't yell and scream and call names. But uh, uh, there's no reason to be afraid. Uh, uh, but I do think uh, also a lot of people think it really doesn't matter. You're free to do whatever you want to do. I don't care what you do. But I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm not going to have you tell me anything about it. Um, That's pretty much, I think, the prevailing attitude in the religious world. Somewhat unfortunate uh, tonight. But anyhow, that's uh, that's where we are. Uh, So we're going to talk about them anyways. Yeah, we thought we would not in a negative way. We're going to be negative to begin with, but we're going to we're just yeah. We're not trying to be vindictive, but we we do think it's a subject that people want to be informed about. And again, as you say, Jacob, this is the time you're talking about because this is the time you the Salvation Army gets most of its publicity and probably does a a major part of its funding uh, during this uh, holiday season, and so. Uh, we're going to talk about them tonight. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out some questions about what we hope to discuss on the program tonight. Uh, and if you're not on our update list, we always remind you you can be on it. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll get you on the list. Just say in the subject line if you want. Just say add me to your list and we'll do it. Okay. And then about midday on Thursday, you'll get an update about our program and what we're going to be discussing. Ask some questions for the feedback and uh, sort of give you an indication of the path we're going to follow. And this is what we sent out today. 
Number one, when, where, and why did the Salvation Army begin? Number two, what is the organizational structure of the Salvation Army? Number three, what does the Salvation Army teach and practice about? Uh, and then, of course, contrasting these things to the Bible, what does the Salvation Army teach and practice about? Inherited sin and depravity, direct operation of the Holy Spirit, necessity of baptism, the Lord's Supper, instrumental music and worship, women preachers, and means of financing. I think you see, I think just the very question will suggest to you that there are some real uh, serious doctrinal concerns about where the Salvation Army is in their teaching and practice. But it will also point out what we really want people to know, because I imagine a lot of people are not aware of that, that they are distinctly a religious organization. You probably would take that from their name, Salvation Army, but when you look into what they teach and practice, you find out that they are just a full-blown religious organization. That's what they are. They were founded that way, and uh, and uh, so uh, that 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 weighs into whether or not you support them. And so we'll talk about that. Yeah, well. and and that is the last question we want to do: with. Can Christians contribute to human benevolent organizations? And if so, what guidelines should be observed in making contributions to human benevolent organizations? The number calls eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use, and the chat room is open to the bottom of your video feed tonight. Uh, before we continue, we need to remind our listeners about the Bible reading calendars. Get any yeah. requests for those? Yes, I have, uh, and, and we still have those available. In fact, we'll continue to make those available right into the first week of the new year. Uh, uh, as we've explained many times before, because we've been doing this sort of Bible reading calendar for a number of years, uh, it's a five-day week reading schedule. It'll take you through the whole Bible uh, in a year. You can follow just the New Testament parts of the reading assignments each day, or you can follow both old and new, or just old if you want. Uh, but it's a five-day schedule each week, and that leaves you a couple days. If you, because I, I think most people probably get in a pinch on a certain morning, maybe they have an early appointment or something, and they, uh, or maybe in the evening they're tied up whenever they, they normally do their Bible readings, and they don't get to it on a given day. And this gives you, you know, you're, you're given an assignment Monday through Friday. But if you didn't get it all done, you've got Saturday and Sunday to catch up. I really like it. I like the chronological order in which the readings are arranged. You try to keep things sort of in chronological progression. You know, if you read the, the, especially in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, just book after book as they are ordered in, in, in our bindings, well, they, they're not in chronological order. Some of them are, but not all of them are. And, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have exactly the right picture of the chronology of the history of the Old Testament. And this reading schedule sort of corrects that by giving assignments in chronological order. We really like it. So if you want a copy, send us a, an email to questions at collegeview.com and be sure and give us your snail mail address and we'll get that in the mail to you and you'll have plenty of time to start your readings for the new year. Again, just send us your name, address, uh, post office address, and we'll we'll send you that. Uh, we I already did today, Jacob. I put on our website. I posted a, a, the link. You can go on our collegeview.com website, and there's a link there to the new reading schedule, and you can you can read it by just accessing the uh, website and getting your assignments there if you want to. All right. So check it out. Uh, but uh, we'll be glad to send you that hard copy. Question, send an email, questions at collegeview.com. All right. On to our subject. Oh, we got one more thing. Young people's Bible study. Yeah, there's also a, a, a flyer uh, announcement of that on our collegeview.com website uh, for Saturday and Sunday, January 28th and 29th. Um, uh, we're going to have Ken McDaniel from Springfield, Illinois, come. He's going to bring some lessons that are especially geared to uh, young people, but a little different. This is not just a young people's weekend. We're going to be asking everybody, uh, old and young, uh, to come to hear these meetings, but the, the, the topics will be especially directed toward the young people. Um, we're going to be Saturday, the 28th of January, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and 7 o'clock in the evening. 
and then our normal times on Sunday morning, 9.30, 10.30, and a 2.30 in the afternoon meeting. Uh, Ken McDaniel is working hard to establish a new congregation in Springfield, Illinois, and he's uh, in that afternoon meeting on Sunday, he's especially going to update us on the progress of that work and tell us some about the 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 methods that they're using to try and reach out in that community with the gospel. All right, so we'll look forward uh, to that as well, and look, I hope you can attend if you're anywhere near Columbia, Tennessee. Okay, finally, on to the program tonight, the Salvation Army. We see them a lot. Uh, you, uh, If you're out running any errands this time of year, you will uh, encounter uh, someone who's associated with that organization, maybe not a member of that organization, but is somehow associated with that organization. What are they about? Where did they get started? What do they believe? What do they do? And should we support I got a good article uh, written by Jeff Smith in Austin, Texas, that I think gives some of the background that people might not be aware of sure. about the Salvation Army. Just let me read a little bit of this. The Salvation Army is an international religious movement with a very clear focus on the social gospel concept of converting the world with food and the provision of other physical necessities. It was founded in 1865 by William Booth, a Methodist preacher in London, England. His objective was to house and feed the poor as a means of, of bringing them to God. Gradually, he and his son established a new organization on a military pattern, complete with ranks, uniforms, and orders. The Salvation Army considers itself a separate denomination. Booth's original aim had been to send his converts along to established churches of, of that day. Nowhere in his plans was there an intention to commence another Christian church, but he soon found that many of his converts would not go to church. And so over a period of years, Booth instituted his own answer to the denominations of his day, creating the Salvation Army sect. Members began to be called Salvationist. This new church grew quickly. Today it's found in more than 80 countries, uh, uh, spreads its message in 112 languages and 16,000 evangelical centers. Um, the Salvation Army operates more than 3,000 social welfare institutions, hospitals, schools, and agencies. So, uh, well, 1865, about 150 years ago right. is when the Salvation right. Army began. Right. Uh, lots of information out there on the on the Internet about their beginning and their founding, if you're interested in looking that up. Um, but uh, so he had some Methodist background. Yeah, and, if, and as we get into some of the the doctrines they teach, we're going to find out pretty heavily influenced by Calvinism. Right. But a lot of a lot of modern denominations are pretty right. strongly influenced by Calvinism. Uh, certainly had an interest in teaching the uh, the, the poor, and interested in the, in those who are struggling and poor. That's 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 notable. I mean, and 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 commendable. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, and I think some people probably give them a pass because they do emphasize doing good to the poor and those in, in, in very destitute situations. Um, that's a, you know, that's a two-edged sword. We're supposed to be, uh, we, we should be benevolently minded people. God wants us to be. And we've talked about that even recently on the virtual Bible study. But that doesn't, you know, uh, the ends does not justify the means. And uh, that's uh, unfortunately what a lot of people think. You know, if good is being done, then however it's being done is okay, as long right. as good is being done. And uh, we would not dispute for a minute that the Salvation Army does good in, in, in the benevolent work it carries out. Uh, but we, we have to be aware also of all the ramifications of their, of their doctrinal positions and so forth. All right. Um, and uh, those are those are severe. So back in the 1860s, uh, William Booth started it. He had been a Methodist preacher, uh, and there were some some rifts there uh, with some of his approaches, I think, versus the Methodist approaches. So he left, uh, started uh, the group. He and his wife uh, started uh, the, the Salvation Army um, and um, sort of started on their own little path there. Yeah, uh, but his his emphasis was to save the lost, not just to feed them, uh, and and even the name Salvation Army bears out that he was interested in in evangelizing the the right. lost, not right. just feeding their physical bodies. But he was going to use the feeding of their physical bodies in in order to uh, achieve that. We've talked before about that. Approach, you know, a lot of people have this idea: you got to feed a man's body before you can feed his soul. 
And we've contrasted that with the scriptures, and it's, it's notable that in the scriptures, that approach was not used. You know, some people try to point to Jesus feeding the multitudes. If you carefully read those episodes, the people did not come to Jesus with the promise of receiving food. In one instance, even, they'd been with him three days before any attention was even offered toward their hunger, physical hunger. And then in John 6 in particular, when Jesus discerned that people were following him just to get food, he wouldn't feed them. And so there's there's quite a contrast between this very popular idea, it's good to feed their bodies so that you can then feed their souls, Contrast that with Jesus' own approach, and, and he, didn't, he didn't follow that methodology. Okay, yeah, he didn't. Um, and so uh, certainly something to consider. Uh, I, I think he started uh, preaching, uh, doing a lot of street preaching outside of the bars and such in, uh, in England. Um, sort of did That was sort of their thing. They did the street preaching and the rallies and so forth. And uh, I think they grew fairly quickly uh, and uh, spread around the world fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you say, it's a 150-year-old organization, but they are worldwide and well-known worldwide. And so uh, they were at least efficient in in carrying out their agenda. All right. When we get back, the structure of the Salvation Army. Yeah, the organization. Organizational structure. Uh, and uh, and certainly uh, that's unique and uh, something that we don't read about in the Scriptures, but uh, we'll, we'll learn more about that on the other side. Look forward to hearing from you. Uh, if you've got any comments, questions, send them in the chat room now. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible State will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, Website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship? That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Wisdom begins with sacrifice of immediate pleasures for long-range purposes. Those who complain the most usually work the least. All too often a clear conscience is merely the result of a bad memory. The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. A man's virtue is not measured by the special things he does, but by his normal daily life. The last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight uh, thanking you for being here as we talk about the Salvation Army. Kevin in the chat room says that he used to help with the Salvation Army until about 10 years ago uh, until when he was studying similar uh, material, uh, and he learned that they were a religious organization uh, with a mission that is not in harmony with the gospel, and he found it conflicting with his financial support for the Lord's Church via its treasury. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, I think you, I think that's an, uh, an honorable thing you did uh, because some people would would again follow that the ends justifies the means mentality and and just look at the fact that they're doing good and and not worry about anything else. But uh, as you, I think, rightly did when you found out that they're actually propagating false doctrine in some very serious ways, then you know you can't you can't be a part of that. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Jay, one of the things you asked the fellow by email that you initially, initially he agreed to interview with us, but then uh, backed out. 
but you were actually kind of emphasizing the organizational structure, questions about their organizational structure. I was, um, because it is a, uh, clearly a military, I mean, like captains, commanders, so forth. Uh, they have a military structure. They have a uniform. They wear military uniforms. Uh, and they're very much based on this idea of an army. And uh, I, I don't see that in the scriptures. I wanted to talk to the gentleman we were going to hopefully interview about that and uh, and just ask for the reasoning behind it. I, you know, I, I can probably suppose some of the ex- reasons they would give, but I'd like to hear from them as to why uh, they structure it the way they do. Let me read a little more from Jeff Smith's article. He says, Booth created his army. He made himself general for life and began installing other men in lower ranks throughout the organization. The basic unit of the army is the Corps, commanded by an officer of a rank ranging from lieutenant to brigadier. Uh, this officer is responsible to a divisional headquarters. Divisions are grouped into territories. Um, these offices have military titles, but are complete, they completely mirror the hierarchy of and setup of, of many denominations throughout the world, with national headquarters and chains of authority. The local platoon attempts to convert people. That and, platoon. And those converts may decide to enlist in the Salvation Army themselves. Converts who desire to become soldiers in the Army are required to sign articles of war and volunteer their services. The officers in the Salvation Army have the status of ordained ministers and are employed in a professional full-time capacity. On being commissioned the equivalent of of an ordination in in other denominations, they receive the rank of lieutenant. They can then be promoted to captain and major. Uh, they wear their vestments are military. Uh, unlike other priests, their vestments are military-styled uniform. Women have always been accepted as officers on equal terms as men. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of officers are responsible for a Salvation Army Corps or church with a pastoral role and community service. An officer's ministry includes preaching the Christian gospel, distributing Salvation Army literature, visiting hospitals, institutions, and prisons, counseling, conducting weddings and funerals, being a pastor to their congregation, and administering the church program. Very interesting. Another uh, citation says, In the United States, the Army is divided into four territories with headquarters in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and San Francisco. Each has its own commander with rank of commander or lieutenant commissioner. There's also a national commander with headquarters in New York. Now, again, I don't see any of that structure halfway close to being mentioned in the New Testament. So you wonder, where does that come from? What's the justification for saying, okay, our church is going to be like an army with platoons and ranks? And You know, to me, I don't, again, people's religious thinking is sometimes a puzzlement. I mean, very often a puzzlement. But it seems to me like if, if I'm reading my Bible and, and I, I see there clearly a, a, a pattern set forth of how it was done, under the leadership of uh, Jesus' own apostles, there wasn't anything. I mean, there wasn't anything about them wearing military uniforms, uh, being organized uh, like a, a military organization would be be organized. Uh, so when I when I read that in the Bible, and then I compare it to the Salvation Army, I see that there's nothing there's nothing at all of similarity there. It, it makes me wonder why would I why would I be motivated to participate in that when it's clearly not what I read in the, in the Bible. You know, I mean, I do read about uh, Christians being told to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ right, Jesus right. and are told to put on the whole armor of God. Second S- uh, Timothy 2, verse 3, endure yeah. hardness as a good soldier of Jesus so, Christ. So, I mean, maybe that's the connection, but that's that clearly is a figure of speech and, and, and uh, uh, drawing a parallel to yeah. what a soldier would do. I mean, if otherwise, I mean, we're also told that we're to be like athletes competing for a crown. Does that mean we could have like a football team? You know, we're, we're the Salvation football team. Yeah, where, and this guy is the punter, and that guy's the, yeah. the, the the free safety, and, and you know, yeah, he's the center and the quarterback. Yeah, and, I mean, where, where do we end? Yeah, uh, it, it's it it is very unusual to me the the organizational structures, but but I mean. Even, as unusual as, as it may be to us, bottom line is it's not scriptural. It's just not scriptural. Now, here's the deal. 
lots of folks would say, you know, that's that's way out there. That's we couldn't. We, I can't go along with that. A platoon and and a commander and lieutenant. That's crazy. Well, what about regional bishops and and uh, parishes and and headquarters here and headquarters there and yeah, this this hierarchical structure. Yeah. Can't read about that either. So if, uh, it, it, when you when excuse me. So if you, the this hierarchical structure of the of of the Salvation Army, it seems bizarre, primarily because they wear the names of military rank. Right. But the same hierarchical structure exists in man-made denominations, and and that's not in the Bible either. That's right. If the, if the Salvation Army structure is wrong, then it either it, then your organization, if it can't be found in the Bible, is wrong as well. They stand or fall together. You can't say, well, that's wrong, but we're going to do our we're going to have our man-made organizational structure. No, you either you have them both, or you have them, you don't have either. You have to you have to be consistent. Yeah, I I, I guess. Uh, all things being equal, I would as soon serve under a regional captain in the Salvation Army as I would an archbishop in the Catholic Church. Right. There, there's as much basis for one as there is the other. Right. You'd have to say that if you're going to be consistent. All right. Monty, your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with what you're saying, and, and you know, people when they balk at it because it's there's, this guy's called a general or a captain or whatever, it's just semantics. It's just spelling. It's when you get right down to it. <laughs> it you know, if we're going to call it one thing and one organization is something different, it's the same thing either way. So either it's a good thing either way, or it's a bad thing both ways. Yeah. You can't have it. You can't just gripe about the terminology we're using. It has to be what what the position is, and it's either found in the Bible or it's not. All right. I think that I think that's true, and, and so again, we're not trying to be nitpicky here about this. Uh, we're just saying uh, that if we're going to do Bible things, we've got to do them in Bible ways, and if we're going to serve God, we ought to we ought to do it the way He said, and not invent. You know, when you read about this history of the of the Salvation Army, it just really sounds like I mean, it really just jumps off the page as a dreamed up, man made, dreamed up thing. They they made it up on their own. And that's not what we ought to be doing religiously. No, but uh, certainly. And if and if you can see that with the Salvation Army, can you see it with your organization as well? Does your organization was it made up by men? Does it have a man-made structure? And if so, it has to. It stands on the same ground that the Salvation Army stands on. We've got to be consistent in that. Yeah. And the solution to that, and the solution to the division is, well, then let's just get rid of all of the man-made rules and organizations and structures and hierarchies and just follow the Bible. That's all. That really, that's the only solution to the problem. The because, only. Because uh, as long as men are allowed to circumvent the authority of the Scriptures and institute their own will, then you're as free to do that as I am. Yeah. If I'm allowed to do what I want to do, then you can do what you want to do. And what do you end up with? You end up with a divided religious world like we have today. All right. 877-381-4567 is the number to call tonight. All right, let's grab our mid-hour break, Jacob, and when we come back, let's look at some of the doctrines taught by the Salvation Army. And, and I think here's, here's well, already, I mean, we've already talked about their organization is not biblical, but what they teach is not biblical either. And, and that's got to be uh, the major concern that we have with the, the Salvation Army. Guest 1812 poses the question tonight, can we call it error? Can you call it error? Can you say it's wrong to have the structure that they have? I would say so. I mean, uh, if you look at a verse like Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and Father by Him. And that doesn't mean you just say the Lord's name. It means you have His authority. Exactly. And so, uh, William Booth, General for Life in the Salvation Army. How can I do that uh, by the authority? How, how can I uh, espouse that? How can I participate in that? Uh, while following the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't. Uh, and so, yes, it, it's error. The, the, the organ- we haven't talked about their doctrines particularly yet, but their organizational structure is clearly not biblical. Therefore, it is error. It's not found in the Bible. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Let's get a break, and when we come back, we're going to get into their doctrinal positions and teachings and see how they compare to what the scriptures say. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible State will continue right after this. 
You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Wynn with this week's Bullet Point. There's near unanimous agreement among Bible scholars that Jesus was not born on December 25th. This comes from a simple consideration of one of the facts surrounding the birth of Christ. Luke 2 tells us that at the time of his birth there were, quote, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, verse 8. Angels appeared to these shepherds announcing the birth of the Savior. Experts agree that while shepherds often remained in the field with their flocks during the warm months of the year, they definitely would not have been out there during a cold winter month like December. Here's some other fiction about the birth of Jesus. It is not a known fact that there were three wise men. The three gifts could have been brought by a smaller or larger group of men. The wise men did not visit the stable as the so-called nativity scenes often depict. Matthew 2 verse 11 says they visited Jesus later when he was in a house. We have no instruction in the Bible to observe a special day in honor of the birth of Jesus. This is not to say that we are not grateful for his birth. Obviously we are. But the only special observance taught in the New Testament is the Lord's Supper, which commemorates his death. And that is to be done each first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. And finally, it is also fiction to imagine that anyone could please him by thinking of him and worshiping him one day per year. We must serve him faithfully every day. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Birchable Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Thanking you for being here. And uh, again, looking forward to your comments. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find that Bible reading calendar or get your hard copy by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. All right. Um, let's, let's talk about what they do or, uh, doctrinally. We're talking about the Salvation Army, so let's talk about the doctrines of the Salvation Army. I think some people would be kind of shocked to put those two terms together, Salvation Army and the doctrines taught, because a lot of people, I think, probably just view them as a benevolent organization that helps feed people and give housing to people who are in need. They do do that. Their work is commendable in that regard. But they're doing that. Here's the very key thing. They are doing that in order to be able to teach them their doctrines. Monty, that's key. In, in other words, it's not just that they're helping poor people and hungry people. It's they're doing that specifically as a, as a way in. You know, Greg, there's other organizations that we can think of that do things to help poor people, and we can, like, say, for instance, the Red Cross. But to my knowledge, the Red Cross is not teaching any religious doctrines. They're strictly an organization to help people. And so if that's all they were, that might be one thing. But because they are trying tying their religious aspect in with this, then that makes them wrong because we don't find that pattern in the Bible, for one thing. And their false teaching means we can't go along with them. Yeah. You know, they have a creed book. I think it's interesting that the Salvation, actually, Salvation Army actually has a creed book. It's called the Salvation Army Handbook of Doctrine. That's their title. Okay. That's what they call it. Um, and uh, the preface to that Salvation Army Handbook of Doctrine says, quote, This volume contains an exposition of the principal doctrines of the Salvation Army as set forth in its uh, deed poll of 1878. I don't know what a deed poll is, but notice they publish this and they say that that this creed book, this volume, contains an exposition of the principal doctrines of the Salvation Army. Then, Then it goes on to say, these doctrines are to be taught in connection with all Salvation Army officers' training programs, both preparatory and institutional. It is required of officers of all rank that their teaching in public and private shall conform to these 11 articles of faith. And then it goes on to describe them. Right. So they set it forth, and they mandate that this, this is what will be followed. Uh, what, would you, what would you say, Jacob, if you know, someone says, well, what, what, what's, what's your guidelines? What do you follow? I say, well, we just we want to make sure that the Bible is being taught. We want to make sure that the scriptures are, are, are that, that the practice of worship, work, and and uh, service of of the church is based upon what's taught in the pages of, of the New Testament. The Salvation Army say no; uh, it is required. 
of all officers of rank that they're teaching in public and private shall conform to the Bible? No. Shall conform to these articles of faith. Yeah. That's 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 it's dangerous t- territory. Yeah, that's very dangerous. And uh and they also claim, and this is what I was challenging uh, the gentleman that I was trying to organize an interview with, they also cl- claim that the scriptures are their only divine rule of faith, uh, Christian faith and practice, that it has, they have to, in other words, they, they claim that they have to conform with what the scriptures teach uh, in their practice. Well, they don't, obviously, with their organizational structure. We'll find they don't also in their their doctrinal uh, teachings as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some of these in particular. Um, first of all, as we said earlier, they're strongly influenced by uh, the doctrines of John Calvin, and one of those is the idea of uh, hereditary total depravity. Uh, the, the idea is that because of Adam's sin, uh, that we are born sinners, that we are depraved, that we that we uh, are totally inclined to evil, that we are incapable of doing good without some direct action of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we are depraved, and we inherit that depravity, Jacob. That's right. The scriptures we've talked about this before on the program. Uh, the scriptures very clearly teach that that is not the case. It's very common doctrine, very prevailing doctrine. And uh, that, when we accept that premise that uh, we are born totally sinners, totally evil, we can't do anything uh, in and of ourselves that's that's right or good, that everything we do is evil, even a baby crying uh, is uh, shows his sinful nature. Uh, that is not the case. A lot of passages we look at. One that I like is Romans chapter seven, verse nine. Where Paul says, I was alive uh, without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Well, Paul uh, never lived at a time when the the Old Testament covenant was not binding. Yet he says that he was alive for a period, and when the commandment came, sin revived and he died. In other words, when he became accountable to the law, he committed sin when he violated the law and he died spiritually. He wasn't born dead spiritually. He was born alive spiritually. He says that in Romans 7, verse 9. Exactly right. Jesus, a couple of incidents recorded pretty close together in the book of Matthew. Matthew 18, uh, uh, 18.2, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Our little children depraved uh, and, and burdened with the guilt of sin and yet Jesus said you got to become like them in chapter 19 um, verse 14 Jesus said suffer little children forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven the kingdom is made up of those who are like little children those verses would go against the idea of inherited depravity not born depraved and that uh, that understanding goes along with David's understanding of uh, of the the state of infants as they're born you remember his son to, uh, with Bathsheba uh, their firstborn that uh, that died uh, as he uh, he's very upset that as the child is ill fasting and and uh, when the when the child's dead he cleans up begins to eat and they said what's going on he says uh, while the child was alive, verse 22 of Second Samuel 12, uh, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that he that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I sh- shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David said, the, the child is dead. I'm going to go to him. Now, if David thought he was going to go to hell... I think there'd be a lot more fasting and uh, and going on there. He wouldn't be he would not be relieved. Uh, he understood that the, the child would uh, be uh, in a right relationship with God. Exactly right. Um, this this sort of ties into the season as well. You know, the Catholics have got a problem uh, with this because uh, Jesus had a human parent. Yeah. You know, he had Mary as his mother, a human being. And so, how come he didn't? How come he wasn't born with this um, depraved nature? Mm-hmm. Like, if if that's the case of all men, why didn't he also suffer that same problem? And so they devised the doctrine of immaculate conception. I don't think everybody understands the doctrine right. of immaculate conception, but the doctrine of immaculate conception basically says 
somehow or another Mary was exempt from that, that she right. didn't have the inherited it, depravity. It's not about the fact that he didn't have an earthly father. Right. It's the fact that Mary was so so sinless that she didn't transfer it to him. Right. Now, that's their doctor. Others have the idea that well, Jesus, that sin transfers through the father, not through the mother. Yeah. And Jesus didn't have a earthly father, so therefore he didn't influence, inherit the sinful nature. I wonder where I could read that in the Bible. Again, all of this is concocted to support this yeah. idea that's yeah. unfounded in the Scripture. Yeah, yeah right. exactly right. Okay. okay. All right. So uh, one of one of their false doctrines has to do with this uh, inherited depravity. Another is the direct action or direct operation of, of the Holy Spirit. And those things sort of go hand in hand. Since I'm depraved, I can't respond to God, Jacob. I, uh, if, if I have a depraved nature, I really can't act. Uh, I, I, I don't have the capacity of free will to be able to come to him at his call. And so I, uh, God's going to have to act on me miraculously through his Holy Spirit to make me uh, respond Favorably to the gospel message. A lot of this hinges on the idea of us being dead spiritually, and a lot, the, a lot of arguments are made. Well, if you're dead, you can't do anything to respond. Uh, you've heard that argument that it, I was dead. How could I respond to God? He had to do something to bring me back to life, so I could, you know, I could live as He wanted me to live. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, unfounded by the Scriptures. Here's a quote from their handbook. Uh, Although a man may have heard the gospel message many times, by this inter-illuminating of the Holy Spirit, he now knows it to be true and true for him personally. In other words, you can hear a lot, but until the Holy Spirit acts upon you, you're not capable of understanding its application to yourself. He, the Holy Spirit has to enlighten you, make it work in you. Uh, that's from their handbook. And, and of course, again, that's, that's just completely contrary to uh, what's taught in the Scriptures. The Scriptures say we're capable of hearing, understanding, and responding to uh, the Lord's invitation. Revelation 22, verse 17, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Notice, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Not whosoever the Holy Spirit enlightens or illuminates, but whosoever will can come and take the water of life freely. All right. And uh, it, by doing uh, this understanding... Uh, that that, uh, that the Holy Spirit has to work on you does violate God's uh, put God in a bad position and it, and it causes a contradiction with His nature because in Second Peter chapter three verse nine we read that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Now if God is the one who has to act on you in some extra biblical way through the Holy Spirit and He's not acting on everybody obviously since not everybody is saved then. Certainly, God would be a respecter of persons, and it would uh, show us that God does want some to be lost because He's not working on everybody. Yeah. All right. So uh, again, those first two things go pretty close hand in hand: inherited depravity and uh, a necessity, therefore, of a direct action of the Holy Spirit to get you going uh, in the direction God wants you to go. Okay. Let's look at the third one real quick. We uh, we got just a, a minute before our break. Mm. Uh, the, the Salvation Army clearly denies the necessity of baptism. Uh, they they say it is not necessary in order to receive salvation. Um, their argument is that there are climates and circumstances which would make immersion impractical, so only repentance and faith are required, according mm. to their handbook. Mm. Uh, have, you, I, have you ever known anybody who could not... Because of their climate or circumstance, money could not be baptized. You ever know anybody? You know, we talked about this on a virtual Bible study that I was here at once before, uh, and somebody commented that well, baptism couldn't be necessary because some people in the desert there wasn't enough water. My chair is sinking on me. <laughs> uh, but as it, as we mentioned, or someone mentioned on that, people that are at places where there's not that much water don't live there. They're just passing through. Yeah. And even in the desert, there's oases and things like that where there's sufficient water. If a person wants, understands the truth and desires to be baptized, he can find a way to get it done. He can find a place where there's enough water. And it's interesting that three-quarters of the earth's surface that's is a, covered by water. Water is the most pervasive element, 
thing that substance there is on the earth, yeah. you can find water to be baptized in. I think you're exactly right. You know, there might be that. You know, I might be out in the middle of the Sahara Desert, uh, and and in in the immediate moment, I might not be able to find enough water to be baptized. But I'm not I'm not so far away from it that I can't get to water to be baptized in. But but I got to tell you, in all of my experience, I've never been in. I've never known a situation like that. For yeah. a person who wanted to be baptized didn't couldn't because there was no water. I never have known that situation. Now I'm not saying that you couldn't concoct a, uh, a hypothetical scenario where somebody in a, in a specific moment of time couldn't find that much water, but it's just not it's it's not an argument against the necessity of baptism. The 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 necessity of baptism is all too clear. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark sixteen sixteen. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, call on the name of the Lord, Acts 22, verse 16. 1 Peter three twenty one. we see that baptism doth also now save us. And on and on the scriptures go. i got to tell you, the, the, the inclination of religious false teachers to deny baptism is just incredible when the scriptural support of that necessity is so so Absolutely. clear. All right, let's get a break. When we get back, we're going to talk. They, they, you may not realize this. They don't observe the Lord's Supper in the Salvation Army. Right. Uh, there may be some reasons behind that. Uh, we'll talk about some instrumental music that they have in their worship. Women preachers, uh, that's a big thing. You might be surprised to learn about that and uh, the way that they're financed. We'll talk about those on the other side of the break. And then ask the question, should we be supporting? Should we be dropping some money into those red kettles as we go out of the store uh, this season? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get back to the discussion right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when He said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like He has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a recent survey, 92% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Among those who do, 51% view it as more of a religious than cultural holiday. 32% say it's more of a cultural observance. 9% say it is both. That information is via Pew Research. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and uh, we want to go to the top of the hour reviewing uh, the uh, Salvation Army's uh, doctrinal positions. Lord Supper's next. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't really know this till I did a little reading about them, but the, they don't observe the Lord's Supper. Um, they make no provision for the observance of the Lord's Supper, uh, hmm. which is interesting. I believe uh, I read something about the fact that they deal with a lot of alcoholics, and so they don't want to have I, I did not hear that. But uh, I, wine in the Lord's Supper, which we would think would be a perversion as well, uh, but uh, that's the, maybe some of the reasoning behind their, that. Their handbook says that they... Uh, uh, are against the danger this is done in, uh, to avoid the danger of trusting to any external right as though it has virtue in itself well nobody says that that there's that there's virtue in and of itself observing the lord's supper any more the fact that it's a virtue to follow a command yeah that's what i was going to say uh, any more so than any other command that we're told to do we're told to, to do this in remembrance of of lord jesus christ uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. 
uh, that's just that's a little peculiar to me. But but I didn't re- I didn't know what you were saying that they that that they're they're hedge against that is because they didn't want to entice alcoholics Maybe to verify that, but I believe that's what I read. Okay, so. interesting. So they don't do the Lord's Supper. They do do instrumental music in their worship. Yeah, sort of a, a military band kind of thing, or there's a lot of uh, a lot of brass band there going on. Well, you know, even at sometimes, uh, you don't see this a lot of times, but sometimes at the red kettles where they're collecting, there'll be, uh, you know, a, a three-man band there, you know, playing music to draw attention to them uh, as they're taking donations. And so I think probably people, pretty, people are probably pretty familiar with the fact that they do use instrumental music but in that, they're not different than the vast majority of other religious organizations who also do that. All right. Again, we point you to some previous version, uh, editions of the Virtual Bible Study, which we discussed this topic in extensively, but we just would summarize. We're going back to this idea of Bible authority again. If you can't uh, find it in the Bible, we're not going to do it because if you start to make exceptions and there is no stopping place, you can have a, a salvation army. You can have a, a church that's set up like an army if you say, well, scriptures don't talk about this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Same goes for instrumental music. You know, uh, we said earlier that they use these carnal appeals as a tool or an avenue to get an opportunity to teach people. They give them food. They give them housing. And, but they, they without without any um, intention to deceive, they, they admit up front that they're doing that to have a chance to teach them. So they admit that they are appealing to people's uh, physical side, carnal side, in order to be able to approach their spiritual being. Music, the instrumental music, is is much the same way, uh, you know. And uh, I, I don't suppose people would see the music of the Salvation Army as particularly appealing. But I was watching uh, some videos from a religious group, um, purportedly a fairly conservative religious group, uh, just today, and they had uh, they had very what I thought was very appealing music. They had this the the the, the stage at the front of the auditorium was set up pretty much for a full uh, modern rock band sort of yeah. approach yeah. and and their music and hand clapping all very catchy very catchy yeah. and really would appeal to the uh, you know I like that sort of thing man that's what I want yeah. and what are they doing it for because that's what people want and they're trying to appeal to what people want rather than what God authorized all right mind your thoughts you know we get, like I say, we get back to this is a matter of authority. Uh, we don't find authority for instrumental music in the Christian worship in the New Testament. The fact that they did it some in the Jewish worship is totally irrelevant because we're not Jews and we're not trying to follow that pattern. We have a pattern established in New Testament worship of singing, and that's all we're told to do, nothing more and nothing less. And if, if we'll just do that, then we can be pleasing to God because we're doing what he said and not what I would say. Yeah, so and you know, it's, it's ironic that there's people in the religious world today who are accepting of instrumental music but they don't accept the rock band, the contemporary worship. That's a big sticking point in a lot hey, of Hey, I'm going to tell you, if we're going to do it, we're going to do the contemporary thing. We're not going to do that old pipe organ. You know, that doesn't do anything for me. But I'm telling you, that contemporary Christian rock, that is cool. That's what I want. Can I have my? Can I have what I but, want? Wait, what, 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 these people who are going to make a big stink about, well, we can't have that rock stuff. Why not? Yeah. Where is your yeah. authority? So, <laughs> And if you can't have the rock, why can't you have the uh, acid rock uh, Worship or or the the heavy metal or the heavy metal or, or interpretive dance whatever you want yeah. if you if once you cross that line and say we're going without scriptural authority you better be ready you better strap on your hat because it's going to be a wild ride yeah yeah, yeah. all right well, uh, let's go real quickly women preachers I think again folks probably would know this about the Salvation Army they do Im- Im- uh, use women preachers uh, without hesitation. Yeah, the founder, uh, uh, his wife, his Catherine wife, Booth. Catherine Booth was a woman preacher. Uh, she addressed huge audiences of people. Uh, and she herself wrote in defense of women in the ministry. Uh, of course, the New Testament teaches that women are not to be in teaching authority over men. First Timothy 2, verse 12. Uh, they're to keep silence in the church. First Corinthians, what is that, 1434? Uh, let your women keep silence in the church. Let's see. I, uh, 
Yeah, verse Corinthians fourteen thirty four. Let your women keep silence in the church. It's not permitted to them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay. So women preachers, I think pretty straightforward that women preachers are condemned in the New Testament, uh, but the Salvation Army is not alone in the fact that they use women preachers. All right. Then finally, because uh, we want to get to this last question, based upon all that is said, can we support them? But before we get to that, let's talk about how they finance their work. Um, we know that in the New Testament, uh, the work of local congregations was financed by the free will offering of the saints taken up on every first day of the week, First Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Um, the Salvation Army, though, uh, acquires money in all different various forms of money raising enterprises uh, uh, of course ringing bells uh, at department store entrances is is their this time of year is their most obvious means but they they have all kinds of uh, enterprise in which to raise money again none of that authorized in the New Testament Yes, uh, and so if you, we'd have to say, where's your authority for that again? It may sound like a good idea. They they, they do raise a lot of money. I think it's in the billions of dollars uh, that they raise. But yeah. where's your authority for that? Yeah, Here, here's an interesting uh, note. Um, the Salvation Army caved into societal pressures when its Western Corporation decided to extend benefits to domestic partners. What that means is the Salvation Army decided it could accommodate the homosexual community and those who are living together in intimacy without marriage arrangement. The city of San Francisco offered $3.5 million to, uh, to various groups to provide drug treatment, meals, shelter, uh, and so forth. Uh, San Francisco, the San Francisco ordinance required that the organizations doing business with the city must not exclude health care benefits from homosexuals or non-married partners in live-in arrangements. Initially, the Salvation Army resisted. Eventually, though, by its own admission, the organization yielded to the money enticements. And so there's talk about funding. There they, they took money from the government to do their work and actually had to compromise their moral standing in order to be able to receive money from the government. Well, that's just another indication of, of things out out of bounds, according to the Scripture. All right. Uh, so, again, we've got to be limited to what the Scriptures give us authority to do. So you think, well, it's wrong for the uh, Salvation Army to do that. Well, what about your bake sales, your uh, car washes, your yard sales? For to support the church, where's your authority for that? If it's wrong for the Salvation Army to do these things, certainly those things would be wrong as well. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I think an important thing for us to conclude with, and we just got a couple of minutes. Our last question was: Can Christians contribute to human benevolent organizations? If so, what guidelines should be observed? First of all, can Christians, can New Testament Christians, support the Salvation Army? My argument would be absolutely not. They are a false religious organization. They are teaching false doctrines. Yep. We can't have anything to do that with that. In Ephesians 5, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Yep. yep. Uh, certainly we cannot have fellowship. Um, it, it, uh, it is condemned of that. Second John verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. We've got to be careful even how we would talk and deal with someone who's teaching false doctrine. Even, even to lend them verbal encouragement. Let alone giving them money to encourage them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I, I think in regards to Salvation Army, you know, it, it kind of tug at your heartstrings when you go past those well, red kettles, uh, and you feel and, and, and so guilty, and, 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 and other people are putting money in there, and you have to walk by without putting money in, and, and you feel oh, I'm, I feel like a cheapskate because I'm not helping out here. Well, you're just going to have to suffer that because if you did put money in those kettles, you would be you would be cooperating with a false religious organization that's teaching false doctrine that will send men's soul to hell. So absolutely don't put money in that kettle. But absolutely do be concerned with the needy. Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so uh, let's broaden the question out then. Could a Christian contribute to some human benevolent organizations? 
And if so, what would be the guidelines? I would say, yes, you could, so long as those benevolent organizations are not religious organizations that are trying to promote a religious agenda. Right. You know, maybe, you know, and I don't want to name any specifically, but there are some benevolent organizations out there that that are just in the business of helping people in need, and they're not trying to they're not trying to convert them to some religious denomination. They're just truly trying to help people. And if if you judge that that's the case, then I would say yes, you can, you should, if you're able, do so. Uh, but you got to you've got to investigate. You got to know where your money's going, and you cannot be participating with false religious organizations. All right. So we do need to be giving people. Uh, we just have to be careful about who we're having fellowship with. All right. Good discussion tonight, a timely discussion, and uh, certainly something for us to be aware of. And, again, we, we regret that we weren't able to get a representative of the Salvation Army to join us on the program. Uh, uh, we want to give everybody a chance to to explain themselves and, and to defend their practice, and, unfortunately, there's fewer and fewer people who are willing to do so. And maybe we ought to – we often – issue a welcome to folks who disagree to come on the program maybe we ought to just make ourselves available you know we talk about folks who won't talk sure you disagree with something that we've said and you know someone who has a a venue they'd like to have us uh, present our position in we'd love to have the opportunity maybe we don't you don't have to come to us maybe we could come to you and we could uh present our view uh, on exactly, a, in a different exactly. format. No, no hesitance to do that whatsoever. We'd love to have the opportunity. We uh, appreciate uh, Monty for being here. Monty, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Thank I enjoyed it. And, uh, Dad, thank you for a good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.